brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. This week on Cosmic Cantina, permission to climb aboard as we dive deep into the mysteries of the ocean. From underwater alien bases to the USO phenomenon with our alien bros, we even reach down under with a story of a cursed Aussie ghost ship. So grab a snorkel and get nice and wet for this nautical edition of Cosmic Cantina. I'm your host, Melissa Tittle, and every week I go to my favorite bar, Cosmic Cantina, and kick back with my co-hosts, Josh Golombeski and Matt O'Connor. We talk about aliens, Bigfoot, ghosts, ancient cultures, and anything from the unseen world that needs a little illumination. Welcome to Cosmic Cantina. I'm your host, Melissa Tittle, and tonight I'm drinking Casa Azul tequila. Yes. Actually, Ooh. I've been drinking since noon, so bear with me. I might talk a little slow. I'm trying to say yeah, all the right. words correctly. That's a heck uh, of a Sunday. I've been uh, putting up blinds and uh, pictures and shopping for, uh, you know, rugs and stuff. So, well, very congratulations things. on your new You're house, nesting. Melissa Tittle. Yes. Thanks. Yeah. Ooh. All right. Celebrate. Some Cheers to you. I'm drinking tequila, too. I'm drinking a margarita because spring is in the air. The sun is out. It's feeling a little warmer. Cinco de Mayo is a month away, so I'm already deep on tequila. Plus, it was the only thing I had inside my house for tonight. <laughs> All right. Right on. All right. Well, what, I'm, what continuing the, uh, I'm continuing the Mexican trend here. I got a Modelo. <laughs> oh, Just nice. came back from a little Mexican trip, and okay. I want to continue with the Modelos because it's my new favorite. Oh, yes. look at us. Well, it's a good yeah. thing that we're celebrating Mexico uh, pre-Margarita uh, Day because I have an amazing USO story from Mexico. However, it is dated to 2020, but it's really interesting, and I think it ties into what's been going on with all these USOs um, that have been reported by the government. You've seen all these uh, images and photos, and people have been talking about it. Uh, people have been talking about the idea that there's underground alien or underwater alien bases off the coast of California for years, you know, mm -hmm. probably since the 60s or 70s. People see mm -hmm. lights all the time uh, off the coast of Malibu. There's all sorts of weird stuff that happens off the coast of off the coast of uh, uh, islands, San Clemente, which actually is a Navy uh, installation, but also Catalina. So there's just tons of weird crap. But back to Mexico. So oh. I have an article in 2020. And it's titled Space Oddity. Mexican group claims alien base offers hurricane protection. That's right. Gulf Coast cities have little to fear from extreme weather, thanks, apparently, to extraterrestrials lurking underwater. Boom. Good aliens. Cool. Yeah. I know, right? As communities on Mexico's Gulf Coast brace themselves for what is predicted to be a grueling hurricane season, a group of stargazers in the northeastern state of Tamalupas are confident that a unique form of disaster prep will keep their city safe. Um, so members of the Association of Scientific UFO Research of Tamalupas, uh, also known as ACOT, believe that an interdimensional underwater base of extraterrestrial origin has protected the coastal cities of Ciudad Madero and Tampico from hurricanes for more than 50 years. Just 50 so, years. All right. Okay. So these aliens are not the aliens of impregnating and taking babies from you and, you know, doing horrible shit to your body. These are the ones that are lovely. Lovely. Right? They've just set mm -hmm. up base and they've created a, a huge uh, magnetic field, apparently that they believe protects the, these, these cities. So 
Um, just a little, right. like, in, in case you're not familiar with Ciudad Madero, it suffered four direct landfalls in the 20th century, including hurricanes uh, in 1966, which killed 74 people in, um, in this area. So uh, the, the, the area has been devastated, but they say it's protected. So, so one of the people that belonged to this UFO organization said that they have actually, um, they have astral traveled and they have gone to the base that's called Amopak. This is the name of the underwater base. <laughs> Amopak? Uh, what does that stand for? Amupak? Amupak? I don't know. I've never heard of it. That's why I've just, I mean, I, I hear a lot of USO stories, but this is, this is the first time I'm hearing it. Okay. So me too. How do you spell it? It's A-M-U-P-A-C. Amapuck. Okay. Okay. So, but, Sounds uh, Mayan or something. Mm-hmm. But explanations of exactly how and why the alien visitors are protecting this area, even among fellow investigators, believe it's not Amapuck itself but the esoteric power of the ACOT members' belief in the base. The collective mind is charged with this concept, so it generates a large force field of repulsion. So, um, hmm. this is thought by these UFO investigators that the very belief in the cities believing that there is an underwater alien base that protects their city actually creates protection. It's like worshiping a god so or a like tulpa. A, if it's, it's like not a real. tulpa. Yeah, yeah they're yeah, giving it power. Totally. They're it's giving it power. It's somewhere, yeah. And then they're like admitting it's a it. Tulpaic. Yeah. Full I'm speed. down with that okay. though. I'll, I'll join worship right. for that. That's that's fine with me. I like that better than a dude in the sky with a beard. And like, if we want to stop worshiping an underground alien base that protects me from like <laughs> meteors and Godzilla and other weird <laughs> shit, I'm all in. Sign me up. Right. Josh, yeah. I'd like to subscribe to your new religion. How much <laughs> do you in. need? Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's the, the that's the reason why there's ancient temples and structures everywhere is that because a bunch of people got together and they're like, okay, well, if we energetically charge this area, then we will be protected by things in the sky or, you know, whatever. So anyway, yeah, yeah, there may be the, they might be on to something, but there is also talk of magnetic fields that have been detected in this area. Okay. Um, there's a series of meter-long bars of aluminum, iron, and copper alloys secretly buried in the seafloor near Miramar Beach at the suggestion of the visitors over four decades ago. So, whoever they think these visitors are that they're calling them, or alien beings, uh, they believe that they have they have either placed something in in the seafloor that has created some kind of magnetic field, which is interesting. And I say this because I, I can't quite tell you what we discovered in the show I've been filming for Discovery Plus, which is UFO Witness. But we did mm -hmm. disco discover something that correlates with this idea off the coast of Catalina Island, which is pretty cool. But I can't tell you. It comes out this summer. It's not a plug for my oh, show. But you when tease. I was oh, <laughs> it's a cliffhanger. It's a tease. I'm such a dick. I'm such a dick. No, but I was reading the story. I thought, oh, that's really interesting. I, I wish I would have come across this before we were out at sea investigating some stuff but it all come to full circle but anyway i just thought this was super interesting for yeah. uh, uh interesting story about usos that i haven't heard before but um but south america is filled with tons of uso stories and i know there's a famous one that josh is going to cover mm -hmm. oh yes siree i have some really cool stuff tonight i made some connections i am charlie day on the chalkboard making outrageous connections with a wild look in my eye i am the living embodiment of that meme nice so tonight i'm going to take us i love that josh just a little east of Melissa's story. Recently, there was some new news that dropped from Tom DeLong and Luis Elizondo that's out there on some recent podcasts that I'll post. And it's a story I've never heard before. And it was really, really cool. So this is the gist of it. And I don't have names or a date. And I would never tell a story without usually those things unless it came from a reputable source. So I'm going to um, trust Luis Elizondo and Tom DeLong on this one that it's real. So supposedly this is one of the stories that was supposed to come forward with the Nimitz incident, but didn't because the people got, uh, you know, the, at the last second, the people backed out because they were nervous. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. 
A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. website for details. So here's a story I heard from hmm. two different sources. Really funny. Really, not funny. Really fascinating. So off the coast of Puerto Rico is this thing called the Puerto Rico Trench. It's one of the deepest places in the world. And mm-hmm. we know there's a lot of UFO sightings around Puerto Rico in general. So apparently, the U.S. military shoots out torpedoes or ballistic missiles and tests them in the water in that area. And what they do is they send them out without ordnance or a bomb to, or, or weapons inside of them, and they go and collect them with helicopters. Apparently, <laughs> this is what happened. So there's two stories. One, one helicopter went out to get a, a torpedo, uh, and when it came up to the torpedo, before it even tried to get it, they noticed like something the size of an island suddenly rush up from underneath the water, like circular Ooh. shape, and come really fast at the torpedo. The helicopter uh, bolted out of there. Now, that was just one story. A couple years later, same scenario, a torpedo went out. This time, the helicopter had a frogman with it, or a Navy SEAL, or someone to collect a torpedo. I don't know if the first story they did, all I heard was that, that, that just a helicopter was there. But in this story, there was a torpedo at the top of the water. They sent the frogman down the line. While they're down there, from the helicopter and the frogman, could suddenly see like something the size of an island rushing up really fast. The guy's freaking out. The helicopter's freaking out. They're trying to pull him up as fast as possible. This thing is like big, way bigger than the helicopter, like the size of a small island rushing up. They see the shadow mm. of it. It wow. sucks the torpedo down suddenly and just sucks it underwater, and the helicopter takes off. <gasps> this, this is only like, you know very close to Puerto Rico. Now, these people wanted to come forward, but backed out at the last second. Now, to me, this was a way cooler story. I'm sorry. Am I the only one out there who just thinks the Nimitz incident is like the most one of the most boring UFO stories? I understand how important it is, but God, <laughs> it's just like a fucking tic-tac and just like pilots, and I'm just kind of like, God, how could it be I prefer the orange, the orange tic-tacs. I mean, personally. Right? It can at least have a oh color boy. to it. It's so fucking boring. I just wish like more <laughs> stories like this come forward. They're so much more fascinating. They suggest so much mm-hmm. more. Tic Tacs just aren't interesting to me. Sorry, that's my right. rant about hating, but, hating the Nimitz incident, but at the same time understanding it's really important for you know it's, UFO disclosure. It's super important for UFO disclosure, but what you're saying is literally a, a display of power, right? They're displaying their power. They're just like... They're like, yeah, okay, we see what you're doing, but we can do whatever we want with your devices, so there. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. You think it was like, hey, look at the size of my dick, and then went back totally. down again? Totally. It was a penis-sizing yeah. contest, 100%. It was totally like, don't shoot your missiles, your little dick missiles, over my <laughs> base, because I'm going to suck them underwater and show you who's boss. Which is just interesting. We probably, the U.S. military gross. probably knows something else down there. <laughs> and they're, they're fuck. Was that, was that particularly gross? I kind of forgot what I said. All right, we'll just leave it in. All right. My favorite parts about Josh is that he just gets so into his story that he doesn't even know that we like, we like made a joke. <laughs> you did. That time yeah. I, I was gone. My mind was gone. I was already in like. It's just oblivious to the innuendo happening in the background. <laughs> um. Man, okay, yeah. so, uh, like okay so it got, it got sucked in. What happened next? So Wait, after before the, you uh, do that, you said it was the size of an island, right? So it's yeah. pretty fucking big. Did they give any other description of this thing? Was it like silver? Was it like no? I don't know. I got nothing. I gave you every like fact I had. I listened to it like three times. Him tell the story. I read the Tom DeLonge thing a few times. One said ballistic missiles. The other said torpedoes. Luis said it would happen twice. I, I, that's all I got. I want more. And the only reason I, I told that story is because it came from them. That's too little to like a full meat of a sandwich of a story, you know. But that's all I got. I wish mm-hmm. I had more, man. But I, I need to know more. That's one of the things that could come forward if those people decide to come forward. Mm-hmm. Apparently, there's enough evidence. Yeah. Maybe there's even footage, which takes me 
which the reason why I really like this uh, story is because it's actually really close to Puerto Rico. And there's another famous, one of the probably top three or five best UFO footage of all time. I think it's better than the fucking Nimitz incident footage. I hate the Tic Tac footage. I love the Roosevelt footage of the bell-shaped craft. This footage is better than the Nimitz incident. It's called the Aquadilla USO footage. Mm -hmm. Aquadilla is a is an airport in a part of Puerto Rico on the northwest side. And this footage, if you don't know about it, is fascinating and really cool. Let me break down the basic facts for you quick, and then. We'll jump back in. Okay, so a scientific body with diverse backgrounds in many different fields did a detailed report of this, and it's undeniable that there's no known aircraft that could have done done what this craft did. This happened in 2013, and what I what most of what my knowledge of this incident comes from, obviously online, but also this report. And this report uh, was is, called, is is a detailed analysis of an unidentified anomalous phenomenon captured by the Department of Homeland Security. So the plane that shot this footage, shot it on flare footage or thermal footage, was a Department of Homeland Security plane. And this footage was eventually given to somebody, and there's a whole story behind how it got out. I'm going to read this to you, then I'm going to describe the event quick. This report is a detailed analysis of a Homeland Security and thermal video taken from an aircraft as it tracked an unidentified object. What you'll see, which I'll post this video, in the infrared is an object that seems capable of traveling at night without lights, at times below treetop altitude, at speeds approaching 100 miles per hour, and apparently without risk of impacting objects as it passes by. And the Scientific Coalition of Ufology, SCU, is who prepared this uh, report. So just to break it down, the basics of it, uh, this plane was leaving, and it captured a light coming off, coming out of the ocean hmm. towards the airport. They immediately stopped another flight from leaving, so it did shut down the airport for a second, and this one plane tracked this object. This object was only about three to five feet long. It wasn't that big, but it moved between 40 and 120 miles an hour. It did like a horseshoe shape around the airport, and it didn't really move in a straight line. It was a little bit lazy in kind of its, its, its trajectory. Went up and down a little bit. None of that seems super fascinating yet, but this is what happened next. It ended up going around the airport and then dropping back in the ocean, but somehow not losing speed. It went into the ocean. So when they first saw it, they didn't know if it was coming out of the ocean. Mm -hmm. It was just these lights and they were confused. But it went into the ocean. This is all on camera. Somehow sped up when it hit the water, went underwater, splits in two. Two identical objects suddenly emerge and, and move together and then come in and out of the water together. And eventually it, it disappears. Now that footage is incredible and deserves more credit than it, than it gets. And probably will, there'll probably be more light to this story as we move forward. Now that story is awesome. There's also stories around that. Like I did some research where people saw this object or saw other objects the days before and after like most UFO events. And it was coming from the northwest side of the island. I mean, the northeast or whatever, I can't think, northwest side of the island facing the uh, Puerto Rico Trench. So this thing could have been coming from an underwater area very close mm. to where they saw these giant uh, UFOs. So I, did a little, I went a little deeper. I was like, okay, is there any stories about anyone seeing an underground? You know me. I like the abductee stories. It's the only way to get, like, any uh, really good information. Here we go. <laughs> this is all, you know, like, oh, it's a something moving at 100 miles an hour, and it's like blah, blah, blah. It's all, like, nuts and bolts, which is the least interesting part of the UFO phenomenon to me now. So here we go. This story is quick, but it's really cool, and it's going to be more about love and light, Matt, so you can take that. So oh, in 19... In 1988, there's a man named Carlos Manuel Mercado, and he has an abduction story from Puerto oh, Rico. here we go. This took place in, oh God, I can't pronounce it, uh, Batances, uh, Puerto Rico, B-E-T-A-N-C-E-S, Puerto Rico. Hmm. So, okay, sure. this, this is how the story goes. And he's the only story I could find that went to a base and had some knowledge to pull back in that area. Could it be the UFO base? I don't know, but it's all I got. So Carlos woke up one night. It was 1988. It was July. It was super hot out, which is interesting because remember the Predator movies when a Predator only shows up when it's super fucking hot? I thought that was cool. If oh, you alien movies like me. Wow. But what a these connection. aren't bad aliens. Okay. These aren't bad, right. these aren't bad aliens. So Carlos <laughs> was in his bed with his wife, and he, he got up, <laughs> and, he, and he got up. And he went to the living room because it was super hot out and he couldn't sleep in the same bed of his wife. I think he was fighting with her, but he went up to the, uh, the uh, living <laughs> room. I love how you just you know? inserted like, a whole story. You're <laughs> <laughs> like, it's because of he his wife. He just couldn't sleep in bed with that bitch anymore. <laughs> yeah, it was too hot oh, out. Man. I was like, it's July. I mean, I, maybe. Yeah. All right, Carlos, take it down. But Carlos went yeah. to the living room and he couldn't sleep. He's in the doghouse. 
And then classic UFO. He sees a light. He's like, what the hell is this light? Uh, what's going on here? And then he goes to the window, and this is what he said. I'm going to read a couple things. I'm not going to read it in Spanish accent. Don't worry. I'm not racist. I got up and opened the window, and there they are. Three little men standing there under the window on the lawn near my house. It shocked Carlos. me. Be be Carlos, because they were so seriously, Carlos. you should have not fought with your wife. Not worth it, man. It shocked me because they were so different, just a little bit like us, but they weren't human. They were little men and ugly with heads a little bigger than ours and no hair. He's basically describing the gray alien, but a little different. Bear with me. There were no noses visible on them, only holes and a small incision for the mouth. Typical gray. Their faces were flat. Their skin was grayish, but their faces and hands were covered with small warts or bumps. Ew. You know, like pimples. That's how he described oh. them. They were ugly and unpleasant, but bigger than pimples pimples all over their faces and they had overalls mm. on and and only their heads and and were hands were not covered by hair but as soon as he started getting scared immediately they said telepathically like don't worry we're fine everything's fine everything's going well you're okay and he calmed down immediately which is something we've heard over and over again in these reports they asked Ooh, him they, manipulation they asked him well, yeah, if you look at it that way, but we'll see what happens. We'll see what the, what's the point of this story. <laughs> I do look at it that way, Josh. That's exactly <laughs> how I look at it. <laughs> it's okay. I see your point. But I think, I mean, what a, nothing happens in this. Like Carlos, Carlos lives to tell another day. Here, ready? It's going right. to be a love and light story. I get it. It's, okay. not, it's complicated. It's, it's not, but he doesn't get his butt tingled or touched or like, you know, there's no angel hair in this story. Or at least Aww. none that lands on his face. Well, then I don't want to listen anymore. <laughs> It's cool, though. So Carlos gets taken to the ship. It's a ship across the road. Bromaltaba Christmas tree color lights. Typical dome shape with like almost like a viewing top to the UFO. He gets in the UFO, and there's a taller guy in there. This guy, they called him the captain or the doctor. And he was tall, like a little taller than a human. He had normal size eyes. He was bald. He looked way more human. He didn't have any, you know, uh, pimples on all of his face and hands and body. And he, and he was, seemed friendlier and he seemed less robotic to him. And he started talking to this guy. And this guy was like, oh, I want to show you something, Carlos. Why don't you come with us? So the ship takes off and travels really fast and goes to a mountain range. Uh, that The mountain range is called Monte El Cayu, C-A-Y-U-L. I think I just butchered that. And that was the name of the particular mountain, but this was in the Sierra Bermia mountain range. Again, I, I didn't pronounce that right. And this, now, <laughs> I'm loving these pronunciations. With, it Love goes it. into the mountain, but this is why I wanted to tell the story because this is how he says it goes in the mountain. They're heading towards it like a ridiculous speed and just like kind of like the movie Black Panther where like suddenly they get really close, but uh -huh. instead of it being invisible, like a door opens like suddenly and they shoot into it. So it's like super like, oh my God, we're going to crash. So he goes inside yeah. and this is why I wanted to tell this story because he kind of explains it as, um, and this is all relayed to a UFO researcher at the time whose name I forget and I'm not going to look up right now. And he, it, they travel for some time. So in the mountain, they mm. travel for a, a little, like, what does that mean? Are they going interdimensional? Are they going, this mountain range isn't like close, it's, it's in the middle of Puerto Rico. So did they go under and go to a base? I don't know. But I, this is all I so got. So maybe they go down, yeah. They could be going down and connecting through tunnels. Because where they end up could be in the mountain or could be underwater. You, you don't know. It could be, it's just a giant caverns. So they end up going, coming to this giant cavern with like bright lights everywhere, gray aliens everywhere, multiple different ships, structures, like a mini city. And this mm -hmm. is what he said. The tall creature, or the, the tall bald guy, who's not, a, who's not, usually you see the grays with a tall white, they call him, uh, the white mm -hmm. hair, these blonde people. This is not, this guy's bald and, and is more grayish, but he's also not like a tall gray. I've, I've never actually heard this type of alien described. It was like somewhere between a tall gray and a human. Uh, maybe it's a hybrid of some sort. So they get outside, and the first thing he does is he, he puts on large, dark sunglasses. The tall, white gives the tall gray creature gives him sunglasses <laughs> because everything's too bright down there. And just like all the UFO stories, so bright, you gotta wear shades. Gotta wear You've shades. Got it. So just like a lot of UFO stories, we hear about light illuminating areas mm -hmm. or ships, and there's no source. Same right. kind of situation here, but it was a little too bright. So we got these uh, large, dark sunglasses that he put on so he could see through stuff. And this is what he says. All the walls were covered with a very shiny silver metal, and there were many, many little people and a lot of activity. Hmm. Many of the little men worked on ships, while others seemed to be assembling something, such as cars or electronics. There was a real huge world down there, and there were also buildings that looked like military barracks. The tall creature explained to me mentally, uh, 
parentheses, because it also did not speak with its mouth, that they had been in this place for a very, very long time, and they did not want to leave there. It said that they wanted me to see all this because they wanted me to tell people, us earthlings, that they don't have any bad intentions. They don't want to harm us or defeat us. Then it said that they want to be able to fully interact with us on a social level, to mix with us, but our authorities don't want that. It insisted that I tell people outside of the... It insisted that I tell the people outside of all of this that they don't want to conquer us or harm us. So basically they were... There's several other stories of this, uh, apparently, and they were abducting people and just telling them, like, go back and tell everyone we're not scary, please. The one line that Matt's going to feast on a little bit is... um, Hmm. They, they fully yeah, interact I've with us on a social some, level. Some hot takes on this, but all right. To mix with us. That sounds very David Jacobs and hybridy. So they take Carlos uh-huh. back to his, uh, his place. Don't harm him. Nothing bad happens. They say they'll, they'll be in contact later. Uh, there is a follow-up story with him witnessing more of UFOs later. But that is the general end of the story. So there you go. Could there be a giant underground water base outside of uh, Puerto Rico? Uh, maybe. And the story from Louis Elizondo and Tom DeLonge really brings a lot more credit to the stories around Puerto Rico because we know that's a hot spot. And that is right in the last thought. That is right in the Bermuda Triangle. That trench is at the bottom of the Bermuda Triangle that goes up to Bermuda. All that area is the Bermuda Triangle. Is it? Is it all UFO related? All the things that happened there? Mm. And a lot of bad things have happened there. I'm not saying it's all love and light, like missing flight 19, the USS Cyclops, 300 people died or went missing, never saw again. Could it be related to this? Or maybe that's just unrelated? I don't know, but it's directly in the Bermuda Triangle. That's really interesting because, you know, even my story brought up the fact that that people have this belief that whatever, there's some kind of alien base off the coast and that's what's like, it's they're they're protecting them. Right. They're not yes. they're not there to harm them. They're just there. And but also the whole idea with kind of uh, kind of interrupting the magnetic field, which is exactly what the Bermuda Triangle does. Ooh, right. Nice. Now, yeah. That's now, these right. are all belief systems. But, you know, part of that is science that there is some strange kind of magnetic field with this Mexico story. But there's also something strange about what's happening at the Bermuda Triangle. And I know that Matt uh, went a completely different direction, but it also fits into the fact that weird things can happen on the ocean and they don't go away. <laughs> no, <laughs> it hangs around like like a bad alien STD. What do they have on them? Some sort of genital wart thing? <laughs> anyway. Yeah, that's, Listen, what they, that's what they get for like trying to have sex with humans, you know? Like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It doesn't work out, man. Yeah. Ah, like, joke's on you, Grace. <laughs> obviously, they didn't top up before they went went in. Um, no. But what were they? What did you say they were making underground? Like just assembling iPhones or something? What were they doing? <laughs> Apparently, there was a factory making. Yeah, they were all working for <laughs> Apple at the time. Electronics, yeah. I said. Cool. Well, uh, guys, I uh, have been a little homesick recently. I'm missing Australia. Aww. And when we decided to talk about water uh, paranormal uh, abnormalities and UFOs and USOs and all that sort of stuff, yeah, I always wanted to go into this cool old story <clears throat> about a cursed shipwreck off the coast of Western Australia. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Ooh, okay. um, so okay. I'm doing ghost ships, guys. Ghost ship. Um, <laughs> but you know, what really is an alien? Right? What's really an alien, right? We don't know. It's just another it's, dimension of existence. Right. Could be. Could be. Ghost um, ship alien. So, it makes sense. 
This totally makes sense. I feel like yeah. you guys yes. are sort of describing paranormal shit that happens that's related to an area. Whereas this is uh, a paranormal event that's related to an object, a thing, namely a boat. Right? Um, and I think there is something to what you were saying, Melissa, about, um, you know, the power of thought creating that, uh, that, that magnetic field or the protection or whatever. So positive thought going into something good. I think this might be an example of negative thoughts going into something and, and sort of building up to a point where, you know, it's maybe it started off as a coincidence of bad shit happening, but it just builds and builds and builds until everyone sort of believes that there's, if they come within, you know, a, a short distance or a touch this wreck, bad shit happens to them. Okay. And so, oh, wow. Okay. What I'm talking about is an old shipwreck off the coast of Western Australia, about 40 kilometers north of, I don't know how much that is in miles, 40 kilometers. Someone looked that up. Anyway. Uh, we're, we're going metric here, folks. Uh, <laughs> off the coast of uh, north of Perth, <laughs> Western Australia. Perth. This ship was called the Alchemos. Uh, mm. So the Alchemos started off as a World War II era cargo ship. Um, and so the way they made these ships back in World War II is the, so apparently the Allies were losing a bunch of ships at sea, um, and they needed a way of creating boats really, really fast, uh, just to, especially in like the the cargo line that lines that they had like moving you know supplies and shit back and forth so what they did is they came up with this way of creating these prefabricated hulls and sort of welding them all together so they're able to build these things super fast these massive ships really fast but they were dodgy as fuck there was like no safety measures taken they just welded this shit together and was like all right climb aboard where you go <laughs> yeah so get out there guys so the Alchemos was this merchant shipping vessel that began its career um, in World War II. It started off in Baltimore at the Bethlehem Fairhield uh, shipyards. And it was originally named the George M. Shriver. The George M. Shriver. Oh, you can remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it was built uh, uh, in 10 days. They knocked this thing together in 10 days. So it was obviously like, good to go. Can't, can't do good things in 10 days, especially build a yeah. ship that's going to last across the ocean. Bring a bucket so you bail yourself out of there. Um, <laughs> oh, no. So This is, it this is like off, the first people that want to go to Mars. They're like, I want to go to Mars. I'm so excited. I'm going to be part of the new frontier. You're not even going to fucking make it. And then if you do, like, yeah. <laughs> who's going to survive that colony? How are you going to get back? <laughs> You're not. You're staying there. Yeah. Um, anyway, so apparently the story goes during its construction, its rushed construction, some unfortunate welders were reportedly sealed in between the hulls of the vessel where they died. They were kind of sealed themselves in somehow. And uh, this body's basically stuck in the hull of the ship. So not a great start. Jeez. Um, I don't know. I don't think they got them out either. So uh, in addition to the deaths, it was said the construction of the ship was fraught. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a uh, a little... Remember how they used to put, like, the skulls of cats or something in the doorways of, of people's homes back in the day to ward off evil spirits? Mm, this is really? not nothing like that, but I just thought it was... Uh, <laughs> this is bad luck. <laughs> but, um... So, anyway, in addition to these deaths, the ship was fraught with this, uh... Just freak accidents happening over and over again. So, before it even launched, the George M. Shriver, as it was formerly known... Uh, it was already sort of getting this really bad reputation as being this unlucky ship. All these accidents sure. ship going uh, and stuff going on. So it was officially put into service on October 11th, 1943. Um, and it didn't have the name George M. Shriver for very long. Uh, so on October 20th, it was assigned to the Norwegian Shipping and Trade Mission. And its name changed to the Vigo Hanstein. Vigo? And the uh, the ship embarked on an 18-month tour of duty, serving as a troop ship and a cargo ship. Uh, so it, it, it is, you know, came under fire many, many times during this time, which didn't uh, didn't sink it, which is crazy, considering like the rest of the ship that happened to the ship. So it was the ship was prone to a myriad, apparently, of technical difficulties. 
uh, and it was known to break down at sea all the time. Uh, there was other unfortunate things happening to the ship. They sort of one mission, two merchant boats, and there was like a, a, a crew of these boats going through the water. Uh, two boats in front of them were blasted to smithereens by German U-boats. And although the, the Hanstein, the Vigor Hanstein, uh, survived this, it wasn't hit, but it became stranded for six hours on an unmapped reef in the area, uh, where it sort of sat there for, for a long time. Um, so then in, in 1944, <laughs> Shit. when the ship became the scene for a brutal murder-suicide. So there was this, uh, this lady who was a uh, female Canadian radio, radio operator. And while the ship was at port Hot. in Naples uh, to unload, yeah, she was a, she was smoking. She was a real smoke show uh, to unload the ammunition and gliders. So this female Canadian radio operator was apparently, uh, I mean, we can sort of speculate as to what went down here, but she was shot by a crew member who then proceeded to shoot himself on board the ship. Oh, she was, and it was a smoke a, show. This horrible. Yeah. Yeah, she likes, I she think likes she someone said else. no, apparently. Yep. Yep. Yep, he got friend-zoned, apparently, and he did not like that. <laughs> so it was the... Uh, so it was this... Uh, it, it sort of just added to this consensus that the ship was just cursed. Horrible shit goes down on board this thing. Um, and it's sort of... The rumours started circulating, and it got so bad that crewmen started refusing to serve aboard it. So when they were, you know, said, you're going on board the, uh, what was it, the Shriver? And they were like, no, thanks, Uncle Sam. Not happening. <laughs> so after the war, Shit. the vessel changed hands several times and eventually ended up with a Greek shipping company um, where it was uh, re-Christianed. Re sorry. Oh. Let me say that again. Where it was re-christened. Re-christened. Re to the name of the Alchemos, as we know it today. So 1963, it's, uh, it's been two decades now it's serving with this Greek company. And the Alchemos, as it is now, runs aground at a reef called Beagle Rocks, just off the coast of Western Australia. Mm -hmm. uh, the ship's propeller badly damaged. The decision was made to tow it to Fremantle, uh, which is a city in Australia not too far from there and the repairs would be made there and then it would be shipped over to or sort of sorry towed because it was still busted uh towed to hong kong for more extensive repairs okay so while it was in Fremantle, at the docks the alchemos mysteriously catches fire and this huge blaze uh, like just ravages the 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 hull of this thing um and it causes even more damage to the vessel so it's like, it just wants to die. This thing just, it's like this boat has a life and it's just trying to kill itself. That's so weird. Um, yeah. So For when the minor repairs slowly, were finally finished. I mean, finished, how quickly and hastily it was put together, it did seem to like go through a lot. So, I mean, it was pretty sturdy. Yeah. It's sort of held together pretty well. Yeah. Because a lot of these boats that I was saying were just like constantly springing leaks and just breaking it off and sinking in the middle of the ocean with nothing, you know. You couldn't pay so me to get on this shit, But this one, yeah, it was like duct taped together. Um, so uh, they did the minor repairs in Fremantle and then this, uh, this uh, another boat started towing it towards Hong Kong. So while it was being towed to Hong Kong, apparently uh, the, 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 the tow line, the cable that was... Uh, towing it along snapped and just didn't want to leave where it was uh, it sort of ran aground and the uh, oh. ship could not be moved and it was so weighed down with water uh, they just they'd left it there anchored the boat there where it was not too far off the coast and left a caretaker on board oh, um, no. until you know they could salvage it basically uh -oh. so the caretaker who stayed there apparently just ended up going crazy uh, he stayed on board by himself and there was a few different people but this one guy um, and they all sort of reported these different things going on on board the vessel um, they could hear noises such as footsteps and voices and tapping sounds um, on occasion these phantom smells were detected Ew. go on um, and the most commonly reported smell was the smell of cooking from the galley like there was a meal being cooked oh. uh, and it 
and uh, they said every time they would go, someone would go to uh, investigate what was going on. They heard these noises and there was like moaning and stuff as well. Like people could hear like odd shit going on, paranormal activity. Uh, it would just disappear as soon as they get to whatever place it was. And they said on top of that, different parts of the ship when you'd enter them, even though they were in the middle of summer in Australia, which is pretty fucking hot, guys, let me tell you. Yeah. But the ship was there'd be this freezing cold areas for inexplicable reasons. You just, I mean, classic, you know, yeah. poltergeist activity. Classic Walk poltergeist into a room activity. and it's freezing cold. <laughs> they also said um, there was this odd feeling of menace that people would describe when they would uh, climb aboard the vessel. Um, this uncomfortable sense of being watched that they couldn't shake. Jeez. No bueno. No. So they decided to basically salvage this boat. It was it was a wreck at this point. Um, so they did the salvage operation in 1964, and uh, they were able to kind of dislodge it from the beach where it was. And they started again, sort of uh, towing it towards Manila, uh, which is in the Philippines. So soon after departing, um, this boat that was that was carrying, that, that was towing the boat, uh, was towing the Alchemos, sorry. I'm tripping over my words here, guys. I'm so scared. Uh, it was ordered <laughs> to like cease its operations due to... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I haven't. I really haven't. Um, they All of a sudden, there was this huge problem with the company that was in Manila, and they had to, they just basically, the boat that was towing it over just stopped and left it there. Um, so basically, they just like so undid the tow cable. Why did it no, do that? No, why it was still that? sort of floating. Why did it just leave it there? Uh, why did the boat just leave it? Because yeah. they were like, there was some sort of financial dispute going on between this company, and the company was like, oh, okay. fuck you like guys, that. I'm taking my tow cable, and I'm going home. I get it. So they <laughs> fucked off and left the Alchemos there. They just basically anchored it to the beach um, in this place called uh, Anglington Rocks, and they just left it there. So yeah. not long after that, um, they said it was I've read this a, a couple of different times and it has two different stories one one says it was like a, a sudden storm hit and the the chain that was on the anchor broke broke away and the ship uh, sort of floated away and sort of became lodged in these rocks and then another one said it was like a completely calm night where it was sitting there and during the night for whatever reason the chain just snaps and the boat uh also, same thing, ends up in these rocks. Okay. So, now it's stuck in these rocks. So, um, the boat, so it says, in a further bizarre and somewhat sinister turn of events, uh, the Pacific Star mysteriously, so the Pacific Star was the boat that was towing this guy mm -hmm. and just said, fuck you guys, I'm going home. That boat caught fire as it was docked um, in a waiting sort of what was going to happen with this, they were back and forth with the financial dispute. That mm -hmm. boat mysteriously catches fire as well. Ooh. Wow. So here we start like coming into when you come into contact with this with this boat, it starts to like uh, leave a trail of like evil. Um, so the, the, the basically the Alchemos was just perched where it was, mm -hmm. and and there was this long sort of back and forth as it was changed hands between people, salvage crews, different companies. I think they said at one stage it went through like eight different companies and every time these companies tried to go out and salvage it, something would go wrong and they just said, fuck it, we're not touching it and they just left it, sold it to someone else. Yeah, oh, wow. that um, makes sense. But So did it just sink to the... It, did it finally just sink? No, you can... And you can still... I mean, it's, it's sort of lodged on a reef right now and you can still see it from the beach. Um, parts of it sticking up. Obviously, over time, mm -hmm. you know, it's rusted and shit's kind of collapsed in on itself. But you right. can still see bits and pieces of it sticking out today. Mm. Okay. So while the salvage crews were on board trying to, like, strip it of metal and all that sort of stuff, they said all these odd uh, poltergeist activity were happening. So their tools were being mysteriously moved from place to place so it would disappear altogether and only to reappear, uh, reappear later in a completely different location to where they were. Um, and once again, they said these mysterious smells um, plagued the, and sounds and stuff plagued the crew. Uh, some I've heard phantom sounds reported. before. That's real. I heard 
Phantom Sounds in my yeah? my mom's farmhouse that she lives in now. It's a family and a traditional house, and I heard it. Yeah, it was a. I think I've told the story in the pod before, but that's real, like a phantom sound. But yeah. it was pleasant. It wasn't bad. That's why you say you smell the galley. Sometimes it's not always like the movies make it out to be. It's always the creepiest thing possible. You know, it could be just hey, people playing yeah. cards from 150 years ago, and somehow it's echoing mm. through time. Phantom sound yeah, is real. Yeah, just like this. That's my TED talk. Well, resonating energy kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but this is just a. You know, the the weird thing about this is just it's like a moving portal, right? Like. You know, I hear Ooh. that stuff all the time, you know, like yeah. where you know, you go into an old barn or a house or you're in a location, you're in a certain part of the woods and all this stuff happens. Uh, and it's a it's, you know, that idea of a portal, right? There's some kind of crossover. The same thing that could be happening with some of these pockets where people are seeing a lot of USOs. But this is like a moving portal on the water. Yeah, it, it's like. Yeah. And, and nothing happened before, before, you know, it was built and then stuff started happening. So it's almost as if something well, we've talked about is unique about like, the shift before, to create like, the portal. Well, you know, it started off with those people dying inside the boat. And we've talked about before, like, the, the idea of ritual and, and sacrifice, ritual sacrifice. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there was, it didn't sound like there was any sort of ritual sacrifice that happened on this boat, but no. the yeah, energy that's though. released during that time... <laughs> Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but you know the the energy that's released around death and mm. and especially tragic death um, seems to have some sort of I don't know. But then also the belief in it, right? Like if you're if if there's also energy yes. that can be yep. ignited because people believe in it, right? Then then it has power. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. So, it, and it just seems like the more the more bad shit that was happening, the more people were like, "Fuck this! The, that bad's that boat is bad news." Sorry. So they were just like feeding into this shit constantly. Right. More huh. and more people. Yeah. Well, I wish we had more information on how the people got stuck inside the the metal. I right. Think that would solve I know. a lot of our speculation. And some though. of this, Wait. some of this feels like, uh, like is that did it happen? But a lot of this came from a, a guy who who basically did this huge investigation into the story mm. uh he was a journalist and he actually as he was writing the book had this mysterious like respiratory illness i'll say covid uh before uh before covid <laughs> happened before, before but COVID he had happened. this horrible re respiratory illness that that hit him uh it was some rare thing that he doesn't know how he got it or where he got it from but it almost killed him he had it for like 10 months or something he couldn't get rid of this thing hmm. nearly oh. killed him wow. and then he finally got over it and wrote this book so um there's other I, i'll just go into a couple of other things that happened before i sort of wrap this up so it, it's stuck in this reef now right and people are trying to you know salvage shit off it they're crazy paranormal shit going on workers also reported being followed around by these disembodied footsteps like being you know watched again and followed around voices heard in the dark Oh. Um, there was also people reporting that they were being pushed by, you know, something that they couldn't see hmm. and uh, sort of tapped on the shoulder by hands and like turn around and they were alone in a room. That yeah. would be like, fuck that, I'm out. I'm out! Yeah, I'm not sleeping Keep on your ghost fucking boat. metal. Keep your ghost boat. Yeah. All Keep right. your ghost boat. So, so then what <laughs> yeah. happened? What happened to this boat? Did it sink? Did it die? Did they blow it up? Like, what it's happened? It's still there to this day. And it, I mean, there's just like this list of shit of of things that happen. It's still like resonating this energy. The more and more people, and it's just it's just like this urban thing now that mm. people dare each other to go out there and touch it or whatever, Ooh. and see yeah. what happens. There's stuff like there's like deadly events. <laughs> nope. Like one of the caretakers on board was a, a lady who nope. was like nope. who was uh, pregnant, and she had this horrible fall and she lost the baby. Um, oh while she was God. on the boat. People blow the thing up. Um, I don't get it. I know. They should just burn this shit to the ground. Um, there was, uh, there was a, a, a Navy s submariner by the name of Ted Snyder apparently was called in to make measurements of the propeller and the rudders to basically take it apart and take it away. Um, and he took a, a group of three other people. Hmm. He was on his way to go salvage pieces of the boat. Uh, for the Navy, the U.S. Navy, and on their way over, on their way over, their the little plane crashed, and they all three of them died during um, on their way over to the boat, on their way from America. 
Um, Jesus. So, like uh, uh, Egyptian uh, like the final tomb. attempt. I know. Yeah. Right. The final attempt from salvage workers to to uh, keep dismantling the the boat. Uh, another crazy fucking fire breaks out mm. on the boat. They don't know where it came from, but uh, it happened as soon as they reached the boat. This fire would break out, and they didn't know what the fuck was going on. Mm. Doesn't sound good. Um. Yeah. So so ghost so, boat in uh, Australia. They, just, huh? they make this note. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, this go uh, this uh, article that I was reading sort of makes this final sort of piece that where they say uh, there's there's just like this you can feel this ominous kind of feeling that comes off this boat. Um, it stays where where it is to this day. They said there's stuff like people walking ho- uh, like riding horses along the beach where you can sort of see it off the coastline. Mm. They the horses, when they get in line with this boat, will freak out and go crazy and run away. Um, wow. There's like, uh, you know, everything involved with this with this is just like people uh, having this horrible luck. Apparently, after they, you know, come into contact with it, there's ghost sightings and lights flashing off the coast. There's no, you know, it's just a wreck there now. Hmm. People keep seeing all this stuff. You know, ghost shit, guys. Scary boat. Don't go out there and touch the boat. Yeah. We're going to send you on there on an assignment. Good luck. Um, So. I want to see a documentary about that. Yeah. It's super interesting. Um, You know, I wonder if anybody's actually tested the magnetic field around the ship, because I bet you if they did it, there would be some kind of anomaly on it. And that kind of goes back to this idea that, you know, uh, Josh and I are talking about places that seem to have magnetic anomalies and I wonder I mean this goes back to even haunted houses and all these weird places too if there's something anomalous about this boat now that has like its own magnetic field and it kind of just allows things to pass through and and all that kind of thing so I think there's a lot to be discovered on on what's happening on the water whether it's alien or um, you know otherworldly whatever it is they seem to be on the ocean, on the water, in the lakes, wherever it is. Um, and I think it's yeah. spooky. So if you're going to Australia and you want to go see this boat um, and you and you actually live through the process, please hit us up so that we can finish a follow-up story. <laughs> yeah. in, the me- in the meantime, have a good night and stay safe out there. <gasps> Goodbye. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.